know, it's funny, you walk up to somebody, you don't know what to do anymore. You reach out your hand, they stick their elbow out. You don't know if you're going to defensive position or what. These are different times that we're living in, isn't it? And I want to get right to the point. I don't know what that means exactly because I'm kind of a to the point kind of a person anyway. But uh, there are a lot of opinions <coughs> circulating within the apostolic community. I really don't care what people think outside of the apostolic community. So there are a lot of opinions concerning COVID-19 within the apostolic community and church and how it fits into end-time events and to end-time prophecy and to its purpose if it fulfills a purpose uh, for God's will concerning the church or the body of Christ. I, uh, I'm about as far from being a prophet as anybody can be, but praying about this and, and, and so on, what I'm getting from the Lord is that as far as the church is concerned, as far as the body of Christ is concerned, COVID-19 is a trial run. That's what this is. It's a trial run for that which is coming, or for that which is on the horizon. So, having said that, how we handle this and how we deal with this pandemic, both personally and as a church, more specifically as a local congregation, uh, with all of its inconveniences, with all of the unanswered questions that are still there to be answered, all the heartaches, the hardships, the death, the loss, the suffering, everything that goes along with COVID-19, how we deal with this may very well predict for you personally and us as a church how we handle more difficult challenges. God knew, because he knows everything, God has never caught by surprise. So he knew that there would be a generation of people who through a preponderance of prophetic evidence would know with absolute certainty, without a shadow of a doubt, that the day of the Lord's return was very near. He knew there would be a people alive during that time that would know with complete certainty that the Lord was coming soon. And while they would not have uh, any better insight to the precise day or the precise hour of his return than any other generation of people, these people or this particular generation would be in the very unique position where they would be able to see the day approaching. They could see it on the horizon. Couldn't really make out exactly the time frame, but there's something there that has come into view of the church of the living God. And so, folks, we are that people. We are that generation of people. And as it has been stated many times within our ranks before, we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You may think that your only role is to just come to church and, and just uh, be a child of God. If you are alive today, if you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, if you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, if you have come out from among the world and you are living a separate and holy life, I'm telling you, God has a purpose for you today. I understand that we cannot live on the edge every single day. We are not emotionally equipped, nor are we wired for that. But we must be able to live wholesome and productive lives, even though we can see the day approaching. And I believe that being able to see that day approach is both a curse and a blessing. It is a two-edged sword. The introduction into Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 begins with 
the following verse in verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Who is it written to? It's written unto them to admonish them upon whom the ends of the world are come. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that concerning the sins of Israel that were committed in the wilderness, that Paul came to a divine and inspired conclusion that the reason that these things were recorded in the word of God was to admonish the New Testament believers who would be able to see the day approaching. It would be those upon whom the ends of the world have come. The generation of the last century could not say that because those people have already passed from the scene by now and here we are upon the stage that God has set. So the admonition that Paul was referring to here, I believe is very interesting for the following reason. It was postdated by 2,000 years. Anybody here ever postdate a check? Whenever you postdate a check, you always follow it up with, don't you dare cash that till... Don't take that to the bank until. So Paul wrote some things, and he postdated them by 2,000 years. And here we sit unwrapping them and reading them. And they're having a profound effect and influence upon us because we are them upon whom the ends of the world have come. Praise God. When God revealed... Incredible things about the end time to Daniel. The prophet asks for greater clarification. God speaks a lot of things to me, and I'm, I'm scratching my head going, would you explain that better to me? Would you better clarify that for me? Uh, Daniel had that issue as well. So Daniel 12 and 8, and I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? Or what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Hmm, I wonder when that is. We are the people that Paul was writing to in 1 Corinthians. We are that generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. And we are they in which the words that were closed up and were sealed in Daniel's day have now been revealed. You know things that Daniel did not know. Because the Holy One of Israel has torn the seal off and revealed these things unto whom? Unto this generation of apostolic believers. Praise God. We could present a nearly unending list of uh, end time prophecies that have been fulfilled and that are on the cusp of being fulfilled, but even if we were able to do that, of course, time would not permit it, and it wouldn't really make that much of a difference to us anyway. Instead, I will simply use the words of Christ to condense the myriad of events, timelines, and occurrences that make the soon return of our Lord most imminent. Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then he says, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. When you see these things begin to come to pass. Ladies and gentlemen, they began coming to pass in 1948 when Israel claimed legal statehood of the nation of Israel. So I believe at this point that there is not a shadow of a doubt that we are at the end of this age and that the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ will soon be forthcoming. 
I thought about it earlier. I thought, well, I'm getting ready next month to be 71 years old, and I've lived my life. Lord, uh, it's a lot different for someone that is uh, up in age, but some of you all that are young will, will, uh, will not have the opportunity to experience some of the things that we have because Jesus is going to interrupt that. You will not have the experience, uh, get to experience many of the things that we have through life because Jesus is coming. His coming is on the horizon. We can see the day approaching. He is coming soon. And you can think we don't know what we're talking about, but it's not going to change anything. The transition from the kingdom of man to the kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to shake this very world to its core. But where do we fit into all of this? We are simply that unusual and eclectic group of people who have been given the ability to see the day approaching. We see something on the crest of the horizon. And we know that it's on its way. Jesus said, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. It's on the way. It's coming to you. It's been dispatched. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to get there, but you have to know. And looking up doesn't mean we literally walk around with our heads up. That's not what he meant. It's look up and be encouraged. Let your spirit be lifted up because the redemption of God, our redemption, is drawing ever closer than it's ever been before. That may be exciting to some. It may not be exciting or as exciting to others. But this unique position that we have been placed in is accompanied by a grave responsibility. And it takes us back to our text. Hebrews chapter 10, 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, I have to at least clarify that to a degree because in the Old Testament, only one person could go in there once a year. That was a high priest. He had to go through a long series of ceremonial sacrifices, sprinkling of the blood. I mean, it was a tremendous thing, and he could just do it once a year. And if he didn't do it right, uh, as soon as he passed through the veil, he would be stricken dead. But we've been given boldness, access to that glory, to that holy place, not physical, literal holy place, but the presence of God. Verse 20 says, by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, being baptized, in other words. That's the only place water comes into play in the salvation experience is when you're baptized by immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us, he say again, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. God spoke to me in the prayer room. He said the problem some of the people have is they're asking for my permission for what I've already paid for on the cross. Not only that, well, they're asking me for permission for what I've already bought with my blood. They're saying, please, to the devil, please leave me alone. Please get off my back. Please give me a break. I want you to understand what this says. We need to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And why is that? Or even how is that? Because he is faithful that promised. I want you to know this, saints. God will back you up. You're not in this by yourself. Listen to me. If greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world doesn't get your motor running, you've got to understand God has sent legions of angels, ministering spirits that will war with you in prayer. Let us consider one another 
to provoke unto love and to good works. And then that, that neon sign verse of Scripture, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That has never been a more relevant verse of Scripture among us until today. That has never really meant that much to us as apostolics until today. But exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. So we often quote verse 25, but we always consider it the, the conclusion of the matter. Uh, but we never look at the beginning. Is it, it will stand on its own. There's no question about that. But the full context of this uh, is so very important. It's vital to understanding what is written in verse 25. So here we go. We now have boldness to enter into the holiest of all, the presence of God, the glory of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Of course, it says, by a new and living way which he purchased for us. We have access, but everybody's not using that. Everybody's not accessing that. Everybody's not experiencing God's presence and God's glory. Uh, some prayers are powerless and they're weak because you can't access that by permission. He has already told you to come in. All you got to do is enter in. All you got to do is praise God. All you got to do is lift your voice. Devil, you can't keep me out. And God, you won't keep me out. And because, see, all of this is because we have a high priest, which, of course, is Jesus Christ, and he is over the house of God, which is the church. Believers are exhorted to do four very important things. Four things. Do these four things. Now, really, you think about it. There's ten commandments. If you boil down the, the whole Mosaic law, you, when, when you boil it down, what's left in the pan is ten commandments. Right? These are very important. These are not the only things that are important, but these are principles that will last during time and eternity. So you boil a lot of things down in the New Testament. I'm telling you, there's a lot of stuff in the New Testament. We're admonished and exhorted to do. And sometimes it can get very confusing. But when you boil it all down, you end up with four very distinct and important things. And here they are. First of all, draw near. Draw near. With, with a heart and a full assurance of faith. Draw near. He's not going to shut you out. He's not going to lock the door. He's not going to see you coming and go, oh, here they come. Draw near with faith. I have a right to enter the presence of God, and I'm going to do it. I have a right to pray in the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to do it. I have a right to worship in spirit and truth, and I'm going to do it. He won't stop me, and the devil can't stop me. So I've been admonished, hey, when you're praying, when you're worshiping in private or corporately, draw near. Get up. I'm going toward God today. I'm going to go toward the presence of God today. I'm going to go toward the power of God today. Draw near. Secondly, hold fast. Hold on to it. Come on, we're, they're trying to talk us out of holiness now. They're trying to talk us out of righteousness now. You're going to meet apostolic. Say, I don't do all of that, and I still speak in tongues. Good for you. Hold on to it. When God shows it to you, hold on to it. And don't waver. Because what happens to those that waver? They're tossed with the sea. They're unstable in all of their ways. The third thing is consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Stop picking at one another. Stop complaining to one another. Stop putting one another down. That's not what we're told to do. I'm just sorry you're not perfect yet. And I'm glad I'm not, because if I was, I wouldn't be able to put up with any of you. <laughs> That's true. Consider one another. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I, I don't know how you're dealing with things emotionally, economically. I don't know what support or non-support you have in your family for your faith in God. I don't know a lot of stuff, probably anything that's going on in your life. So you need to be encouraged, not put down. And number three, we're supposed to, we're supposed to consider each other. And provoke each other. You can come on. You can make it, brother. You can make it, sister. Come on. You can do it. I hate it when people say because I did it, anybody can do it. Because I don't buy that. The guy that can bench press six hundred pounds, he can say that all day long. I, I'm pretty good feeling that I'm not going to be able to do it. Don't you hate it when people say that? Well, I made ten million dollars. If I can do it, anybody can do it. You can do it because of God. That's why you can do it. And then the fourth thing is do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So the writer of Hebrews, as we see the day approaching, this is the whole point of this. He makes these four things a high priority to those that can see it. They're, they're close to it. It's, it's, it's coming nigh. Come on. It, it's, it's almost in sight. They, they can see the day approaching. So as you see the day approaching, look at these four things and do these right now. Right now. They're important right now. You can say amen. I got it. Preach it, brother. Message received. But the writer of Hebrews, which I personally believe, don't take this literally to the bank, but I believe Paul's the writer of Hebrews. He says, and so much the more. It's always been important, but to those, to that unique, eclectic group of people, that will be able to see the day approaching. I'm going to preach to them for just a minute. I'm going to write something to them. I'm going to seal it and post it by 2,000 years. You who can see the day approaching, read this, study this, meditate on it, and do it. Because it's going to be a huge factor in those that are ready when the Lord returns and those that are not ready. There are many reasons why these four things are more important to the end time church than to any other time period during the existence of the church. At the conclusion of the parable of the ten virgins, where five of them tragically failed to enter into the bridegroom's chamber, Jesus made this statement. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. It is a great burden upon us to not know the day or the hour that our Lord will return, but one thing is certain. We know that his coming is imminent. We know that it's going to be soon because we can see, not with our eyes, but with our understanding and revelation, we can see. And it confounds us why there are so many people that are not doing anything about getting ready for the coming of the Lord. It's absolutely confounding because it's so clear to us. This Thursday, we will officially be in the holiday season. I know the stores have been in it now for some time. It's amazing, isn't it? Never seen so many Christmas decorations, and people are buying it by the truckloads. Things are going to be different this year. They're telling us not to gather in large groups. Hello. <laughs> like we've been paying attention to that, right? I, I'm not suggesting that we should ever be cavalier about this pandemic but it's not going to put me in a closet. It's not going to shut down my worship. That doesn't mean I'm going to go skydiving without a parachute. You know, if I go skydiving, which I'm not, I'm going to wear a parachute and hope for the best. 
So there's a lot of things going on right now. We're getting ready to enter December. After Thursday, it'll begin dinners and parties and and uh, fellowships, Christmas programs. Presents are going to be exchanged. What are we supposed to do? Spray them down before we hand them to the kids? Or no, we pray. Look, we've lost precious saints of God, great men of God. Irving Baxter passed from COVID. Uh, great teacher of prophecy. So this is this is this is serious. It really is. But none of this happens regardless without a great deal of, of, of planning. And so today's November 22nd, in case you didn't know. Trust me, it is the 22nd of November. And you're pretty real relaxed about Christmas, right? I mean, Richard, you, you're the one that has the greatest stress. You have <laughs> so many children. I, I have a recon, recommendation. If you would put them up for adoption and then January 1st go adopt them back. Somebody have them for Christmas Day. So it's November 22nd. Y'all are very relaxed. I can tell you're chilled out. It's not a problem. But what if, what if we're standing here and sitting here and it was December 22nd, you had not one package bought? What would your stress level be right this moment? I'll tell you what it would be. You would, you would be looking at the clocks. You'd get out of here and, and, and run and go Christmas shopping. You know, all we have in a full-scale panic attack. Every every year we hear it, well, there's 25 shopping days till Christmas. Well, there's 24 shopping days till Christmas. There's 23 shopping days till Christmas, and the great countdown begins. But right now there is another countdown that has begun. This countdown, some people say, to Armageddon. I preferably do not intend to uh, be here for that. It's countdown to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the best thing we can do right now as we see the day approaching is make preparations according to the word of God so that we are not caught unawares. I just want to say that the the five Foolish virgins that did not enter into the bridegroom's chamber. They had the Holy Ghost, folks. They had the Holy Ghost. Oil, representative of the Holy Ghost, and their lamps. But they only had enough just to burn for their own little blessing. They did not have enough to make the journey into the bridegroom's chamber. There's a lot of people in this room that talk in tongues, and you think that is your ticket out of here. And it's not. Jesus tried to tell us it wasn't in the parable of the ten virgins. I spent six years in the Air Force Reserve, also uh, known as the Missouri Air National Guard. I was part of, at that time, the tactical fighter wing. I loved that patch. It was so cool back then. And uh, my MOS was in security. Each summer, our entire unit was required to go to Volk Field, a National Guard base, which was a combat readiness training center in Camp Douglas, Wisconsin, for two weeks of training. Uh, everyone that was in the Missouri Air National Guard was required to attend. I mean, there really was no excuse unless you were having surgery or something like that was happening. You had to be there. In other words, you were required to make whatever arrangements are necessary with your employer and your family to be there the morning that that training was to begin. Uh, more importantly than that, we were all required to uh, be on what we referred to as constant deployment readiness. If you wonder how when they call up the National Guard, they just suddenly show up because they have, uh, in some instances, for international things, they have 24 hours. But in local things, sometimes they have two or three hours. Once they receive the call to be in their full gear, whatever they need to do, and, they, and to be on site. So we had to maintain all 14 inoculations of different shots so that we were prepared to deploy anywhere in the world on an instant's notice. We were also required to show up for departure within 24 hours of receiving the call 
uh, to deploy. I took the following off an official United States Army website in order to put things in proper perspective for you. It says, deployment readiness is critical to the rapid projection of forces and material to achieve national objectives. Army units must be ready and able to deploy with their organic personnel and equipment anywhere in the world to support combatant command commander requirements. To accomplish this, units must focus training on their mission essential task of deployment and redeployment. These tasks play a critical role in preparing forces for rapid worldwide deployment and employment by a combatant commander or joint force commander. <clears throat> the Army must be ready to deploy, fight, and win anywhere in the world. By rebuilding the culture of deployment readiness, the Army is transforming deployment proficiency and improving readiness with every training deployment opportunity. It is important for the Army to continuously practice in home perishable deployment capabilities. Repetitive and realistic practice of unit deployment tasks and a mastery of the skills associated with rapid deployment and global power projection will ensure the Army is ready to deploy, fight in there. What in the world are we doing here today? What in the world are we doing in the house of God this morning? We are practicing our deployment strategies for when the trump of God sounds. We're practicing, we're going through it again and again and again. If you can't feel God, you will not hear the trumpet when it sounds. If you can't feel the Holy Ghost, you will not hear when he descends from heaven with a shout. If you can't break through and worship, you better pray. He doesn't come until you're able to. In 1970, my unit was part of a joint military exercise containing or combining all four branches of the armed forces in setting up a fully operational base in Izmir, Turkey. We had three weeks to deploy, set it up, and dismantle that base. All four branches of the military. What do you think that we're doing in the house of God every time we're gathered? We are getting ready for a quick departure. If you think about it, the entire church, the entire body of Christ is required to be ready to deploy. And we're not given 24 hours. Now, wouldn't it be cool if we knew that uh, the Lord was going to send out a message? You got three hours. You got three hours to get right. You got three hours to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. You got three hours to prepare for departure. Uh-uh. We had 24 hours, and we kind of looked at it like, what are y'all, nuts? We got family. We got kids. We got jobs. Doesn't matter. You be here within 24 hours, or you will be considered A-W-O-L, absent without leave. So the church must be prepared to depart in an instant. Now, we don't know the day it's going to happen. We don't know the hour it's going to happen. I personally have a Glock uh, 22. It's a it's a, a 40 caliber in my nightstand. If I knew that there was a thief going to break in my house tonight, I'd put it on top of the nightstand. I might even put it under my pillow. You understand? She's right because it would be facing her when I would reach up and grab it. <laughs> you see, a Glocks do not have safeties. They do not have a safety on them. When you chamber around, you better be prepared to pull the trigger because there's no safety to prevent that from happening. So, Sister Bruce, you're, if, it, if it happens, I'll sleep on your side of the bed, okay? <laughs> but you know my point. We can see the day approaching, but we're lollygagging. We can see the day coming, but we're not doing anything. We're just going through the motions. We're like on a spiritual treadmill. We're not praying. We're not praying any more than we normally do. Hey, if you knew God was going to come at 5 o'clock tonight, would you pray a little bit this afternoon? 
If you knew that Jesus was going to come at 10 o'clock this morning, would you have been in the prayer meeting at 9 o'clock? You better believe you would have. That's my point. So we don't know when. But what is happening is God has placed his church on high alert. You know, uh, 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 National Guard unit can get a notice. Hey, some things are going on. Y'all need to be ready for deployment. You may be called up any day now. You need to be prepared. You need to start putting things in order in your family and job and life because it could, it's very possible in the next few days you could be called up. You could be sent to the other part, other side of the world. You see, that's what the Holy Ghost is saying to us. Come on, you can be called up any moment, any day. It can happen any time. You need to get ready for a quick deployment. Chapter 21, 31, so likewise, when you see these things come to pass. Anybody been paying attention to current events? Know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand, and take heed to yourselves. What are you talking about? If you see them come to pass, and you know the kingdom of God is nigh at hand, what do you do about it? Take heed. Take heed to yourselves. Let's at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. Surfeiting means a hangover. Anybody here ever have a hangover? Yeah, yeah. Lord willing, I'll tell you a little more about it in a few minutes. But I'm not hungover right now. Not physically, not mentally, and not spiritually. And drunkenness, cares of this life, so that they, they come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Watching and praying is essential for the people of God to reach and maintain a prescribed state of readiness for quick deployment. Watching and praying is essential. You pray. Yeah, I get it. You pray. You pray until you feel God and you're done. You pray until you speak in tongues and you think you've accomplished something. You know when you've accomplished something? When you've walked through about three different dimensions of the Spirit and you begin to take authority over things that's damning our city and controlling the spiritual climate of our city. There's too much pray until we feel the Holy Ghost and pray until we speak in tongues and that's it. You want to know how a preacher is anointed or not when he gets up to the pulpit and speaks? If there's no fire, if there's no power, if there's no anunction, if there's no revelation, that's the quickest way to be exposed, whether you really pray or not. Watching and praying is a mandate. It is a mandate for everyone that sees the day approaching. You can teach, preach, beg, and everything you want about prayer and about watching, but those that can't see it coming still will not pray and will not if you're not praying in the Holy Ghost every day, you can't see what I see. If you're not praying every day in the Spirit, you can't see what the Bible's talking about. That generation that will be able to, oh, I see it coming. i got to get a hold of God today. I see something coming. i got to pray today. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God. When is it going to happen? I don't know. I just don't know. I do know it's going to happen. And I do know it's on the horizon. I know it's approaching. It's approaching. It was a, two Thursday nights ago. I was expecting a, a package by FedEx, and I had to be there for it. So I got the I got the text. It's coming. It's coming today, and it's gonna be there by the end of today. But when church came time to go for church, I said, I gotta stay home for this. I I don't want to miss getting the package. And so she came home without me. Well, I wasn't sick. I was just at home waiting, watching and praying. For the arrival of the FedEx driver. And at quarter after eight, I get the text. Sorry. 
It will not be until tomorrow. I would rather be waiting for the Lord to come and get the message. It's not going to be right now. It's going to be tomorrow. Than to not be ready and miss it. So how much time is he going to give us? One sixtieth of a second. That may seem unreasonable to some of you, but when you consider all that the Lord has done for us, and because he has allowed us to see the day approaching, one sixtieth of a second should be plenty of time. Because you know what? If he gave us 24 hours, a lot of people wouldn't believe it anyway. What do you know? Noah and his three sons spent 125 years building the ark. Uh, of course, the ark was built not for a pleasure cruise, but to save mankind in the animal kingdom from extinction. We talk about the patience of Job, and yet Noah has him beat by 124 years. I can't even imagine being involved in a spiritual project for 125 years. Are you sure that's what he said? Because <laughs> there's no indication that Noah had any interaction with God all that time while he's building this ark. Amen. So by all appearances, I've read this so many times in by all appearances, God gave Noah as much time as he needed to build the ark, to complete the ark, and to equip the ark, which is exactly what God is doing for you right now. He's given you time, an opportunity. Because everyone in this room is not ready for the Lord to come. I don't have to take a poll. And the scary part is a lot of people would raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm ready, and you're not. You are more worse off than those that know that they're not ready. So he's giving you time, just like he gave Noah. But there came a time when Noah and his family, as the project, the building project, began to reach uh, near completion. There had to be a time when they knew that the judgment of God is nearing. It's getting closer. It will soon begin. Did they know exactly when the fountains of the deep would be broken up and the rains would begin, the deluge would come? No, they did not know. But they had to know it's getting pretty close because we're almost done with the ark. And so as they added the finishing touches to the ark and as they loaded it with the food and supplies and everything they would need for this, for this journey they would be on, even while they're doing that, they're in the same position that you and I are in right now. They could see the day coming. They could see the day approaching. And in the days that followed, Noah would see a constant stream of animals that would just show up and begin walking up the gangplank, getting on the ark. The Bible says two by two, male and female. That, that must have been an incredible thing to behold. Once they were all on board, God instructed Noah. Now, okay, everything ready. Noah, your three sons, your wives, your wife, get on board. And they went on board as well. After Noah boarded the ark with his family, they sat there for seven days, and nothing happened. Almost reminiscent of the 120 in the upper room. Waiting, and nothing happening. After seven days, Genesis 7, 16 says, the Lord shut them in. You've got to understand, there's only one way you can get in this. God has to put you in this by your obedience to the new birth. In all of this, Noah did not know 
there's no way he could have known that his obedience to God would not just save his family, not just save his animals from the flood, but it would provide a perfect example for the end time church regarding the coming of the Lord. A perfect example for us to follow. Therefore, 1 Peter 2, 5, And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, nor not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, that blows my mind. They enter into the ark, and somehow the world knew something's getting ready to happen. And everything came to a halt. They did all of this until the day, right up until the day. They sensed something is getting ready to happen, but they didn't know what. Verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It is estimated that there were one to three billion people. If you studied out, extrapolate time, it's, just, it's a complicated thing. Uh, but I've researched it, and the estimation is somewhere between 1 to 3 billion people were alive on the earth at the time of the flood, and we've got only, say, 8 people. Out of 1 to 3 billion people, only 8 people could see the day approaching and made provisions for that day. So if you're among them that can see the day approaching, you are very fortunate because... Everybody, not even all of God's people, will be able to see that that day is approaching. Praise God. Last Sunday, we saw a drunk driver come within a hair of being T-boned by an automobile. I think, I think it was a car. Happened so fast, going about 50 miles an hour. Missed it by a hair. At the next stoplight, he pulled up and looked over to this person, and they were asleep, head back on the highway. So I remind you what Jesus said in the 21st chapter of Luke. When you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is at night. Take heed to yourselves that if any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. I've never met a drunk person that said, yeah, I'm drunk. No, they don't. A drunk person does not realize that they are drunk. I'm pretty sure, relatively convinced at least, that this it was a woman that was drunk, but she had no clue that she almost was killed or mangled as she crossed that intersection, pulled out in front of that car. I'm pretty sure she didn't even know it, that it had happened. Because, see, when you're drunk on the things of this world, you're not aware of everything that's going on around you. So Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4 and 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Now, who do you think he was writing that to? Peter did not live to see uh, 100 A.D. He was crucified upside down, yet he's writing, saying, but the end of all things is at hand. Who do you think this was written to? It's written to us, upon whom the ends of the world have come. Then he says, be therefore sober. Watch unto prayer. The security protocols of the Air Force required security people to learn two uh, phases of security. Uh, flight line security had to learn how to protect the, the airplanes and the storage facilities and the weapons facilities and so on. But the other was where you learned law enforcement, speed control, uh, main gate, responsible for the main gate and all that stuff. And uh, we had to learn both. So when we would go to summer camp in, in Camp Douglas, 
we would have to stand at the main gate. I, I want you to know the hardest thing for me, standing at the main gate, was when airmen would drive in to try to see their insignia through the glare of the window because if they're an officer, you better salute. And if they're a, a non-commissioned officer, you just wave them on through. And there were times go, oh, I thought I was an officer and I didn't salute. And because you couldn't tell. Now, how do you see that? But it was an important part of it. So we had to stand guard at the gate. We had to learn how to guard the main gate of an Air Force base in case we're ever called up to active duty. We weren't allowed to carry uh, live ammunition in our weapons for obvious reasons. We don't really need live ammunition. It would prevent any potential accidents. So we had our 38s revolver, but there were no rounds in our 38. But we were we looked official, but we weren't. We were in what they call on-the-job training. So one night, it was about 2.30 in the morning, uh, me and another uh, National Guard guy were up there learning how to work the gate, and, and there were two full-time airmen there. And turned there in the morning, here comes this guy driving in, and he pulls up and stops. Oh, he said, that is drunk as a skunk. But not only that, he's a belligerent drunk. So they were letting us do all this stuff. So I said, sir, look, you made it this far. <laughs> Why don't you just go to your barracks and sleep it off? Because I want to beat you up. And he gets out of the car. And so being the untrained idiot that I am, I pull my gun on him. <laughs> I pull my gun thinking this guy's going to go, oh, a gun? Oh, excuse me, get in and drive off. He goes, hey, you've got a gun. Good for you. <laughs> so obviously it didn't work. The point being, when you're drunk, we can preach hell to you. The flames can come up out of the floor and singe your feet, but if you're too drunk, you won't receive it. I would imagine if those two airmen are still alive today, they're still telling people about that night. That that young idiot pulled a gun with no ammunition. Thank God he didn't have any ammunition in it. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Well, he was cussing at me, sir. <laughs> the funny thing is, this, these guys were so nice. And they, they were so cordial to us and respectful to us, even though they knew we were complete idiots. But this nice airman, he stood up, stepped me aside. I told you to get in your car and drive on. This guy went, okay. He backed down, got in his car, and drove off. That's why we're there. That's where I learned how to talk to the devil. You can pull out your axe in 238s and he'll just laugh at you. But when you begin to take authority in the spirit, in Jesus' name, I told you. Now you do what I commanded you to do. Musicians, would you please come? Praise God. Praise God. In case you're wondering, I do know what I'm talking about. I uh, did not get baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. I was 24 years old, so... I made a few mistakes before then. <laughs> Some things that I am glad is under the blood, but I wish it never would have happened. I know what it's like to be drunk driving down the highway going 90 miles an hour and seeing the red lights come up behind me in my rear view mirror, knowing I'm going to jail. I was attentive enough to know that. Fortunately, he was on a call and he flew by me like, so I proceeded to my apartment, got out of my car and threw up all over the place because that's what drunk people do. Some of us are not that bright when we're sober. When you get drunk, 
you will become a complete idiot. And if you're drunk on the things of the world right now, if you're drunk on worldly pleasures and Hollywood and worldly music and all that garbage, if you're too drunk to hear what I'm saying, I hope you sober up and come back and hear another message. Drunk people do not sense the danger. I was at a party one time and, and a terrible storm come up. Illinois, Missouri is known for these and black clouds. Wind was blowing. I don't, man, it was just blowing. Everybody ran for shelter except for me. I go out, sit on the diving board, and I watch the tornado drop in out of the clouds and float around. Why did I do that? Because I was too drunk to realize the danger that I was in. I'm preaching to some drunk people right now. You are too inebriated off of the pleasures of this world to realize the danger that you are in by not giving your life to Jesus Christ. Now in closing, I'm going to shift gears. Um, because of our proximity to the Port of Miami and the Port of Everglades, uh, through the years, we were fortunate enough to go on a number of cruises. And uh, we, they say even a bad cruise is better than no cruise at all, but we had one that defied that. It was, doesn't, it ruins that statement. But anyway, we would always go out on the upper deck, you know, get everything in your room, you go up in the upper deck and as the boat begins to peel off of it, you know, go out that long corridor into the Atlantic Ocean. We used to love that. Just up there, you know, you got seven to ten days in the lap of luxury. People are going to wait on you. I mean, really good food. Nothing wrong with yours, honey, but that was good stuff. <laughs> I want to go home with her. And so looking back, there wasn't one single time that we ever stood on that upper deck and thought about the people we were leaving behind. We never stood up there and go, oh my gosh, because we knew we're coming back in a week or so and we'll see everybody again. We'll go back to our house, our home, our, our normal way of life in, in just a few days. Such is the case, was not the case with Noah and his family. You would think that when they got on the boat, it would be jubilation. The door closes. They hear all hell breaking up out there. Oh, hallelujah. We're safe in the ark. That wasn't what they did. I mean, Noah was 500 years old. When God told him to start building the ark, you'd think he didn't have other sons and, and, and daughters and daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws besides Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Of course he did. So while they were huddled together as the waters flood lifted the ark off its moorings. They were not, I repeat, they were not overcome with jubilation. Is it even possible to imagine the depth of, of sorrow, grief, and despair that they felt knowing that everyone they love, everyone they know, would be dead and gone upon their return? We never considered the possibility that we would even lose one person while we were on a cruise, and thank God we never did. We never thought about coming home, and everybody we know and love would be gone. Our home, our neighborhood would be wiped out. We wouldn't even recognize it because the landscape would be completely changed. We never, the thought of that never entered into our mind. But as I see the day approaching, I cannot help but think about those that we are getting ready to leave behind. It's deeply troubling to think about the horrible fate of, of, that awaits everybody once the church is removed from this world. Say, I won't have nobody preaching to me no more. No, you're right about that. They'll be trying to kill you. If you survive the disease, the pestilence, the global upheaval, the global, I mean, 
Yeah, you won't have mom and dad telling you what to do anymore. Yeah, that's right, you won't. Because they will be gone. So if you're fortunate enough to be able to truly, I mean truly, see the day approaching, it's not just about our escape. You understand that? So there's a certain innate, indescribable, and inescapable sorrow that should arrest each and every one of us who can really legitimately see the day approaching. Because that day doesn't only represent our departure, our escape, our deliverance. It represents complete and total and utter destruction, death, and annihilation to the rest of the world. And many of those people we know and we love and we care about very deeply. You stand with me. The Apostle John, who wrote many things in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, I really wanted to talk about them, but I knew I didn't have time. I'm, I'm already late reaching this part of the message. But one of the things that he wrote, and, and, and it made me remember something years ago, but I'll relate to that in a moment. Revelation 22 and 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Now that's in red. That's Jesus speaking. The same Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last, that was introduced to John in chapter 1 is now saying, Surely I come quickly. Then John wrote, Amen, but then he wrote these words, Even so, come. Lord Jesus. I am not one prone for memories of things many years ago, but I remember, I believe it was a Sunday night in our home church in St. Louis. Power of God, presence of God filled that place, and Pastor Freeman was preaching on the return of the Lord, and I remember going to the altar. And as I said these words, even so, come Lord Jesus, I broke down and cried like a baby because for the first time, at least for me, I realized what that would mean for my mom and my dad and my sister and my family. Oh, good for me, even so, come. So when I read this recently, it was brought back to me. You see, it's not as much trying to convince you to look out and on the horizon and see a day approaching and get ready for an instant deployment. It's also about realizing that when he comes, everybody you love and know that's not saved, their fate is sealed forever sealed. And so watching and praying is not just about being ready for instant deployment. It's about interceding for our loved ones, our families, our neighbors, our friends. It's about an inner hurting and burden that just lays on us. There's no jubilation in it. There's no, there's no rejoicing in it. I'm just not able to get excited and rejoice over that. I'd much rather be raptured than go to the grave. But if I die, people will still have a chance. But if he comes, if he comes, if he comes. We are here right now. And you can't feel his presence. You can't feel a deep inner urging to get right with God, to repent of your sins, to be baptized, to receive God's spirit. And 
I hope you will sober up and come back another time. Because there's a deep burden upon our hearts right now. There's a deep concern that's coming upon the church of the living God right now. My God. It's like something that's rising up, isn't it? It's putting its arms around us as we stand here. And as the people of God begin to contemplate what it means for the Lord to come, I open the altar to anyone who would want to come to pray. If you have not received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, Jesus said, He that has not my spirit is none of mine. And if the spirit that raised him from the grave dwell in you, it will also quicken your mortal body. If you need the Holy Ghost, the altar is open for you to come and pray. If you've lost sight of the reality of his return and you need to be awakened unto righteousness, so that you too can stand among that group of people and, and see the day approaching. If you've lost sight of that and you want it again, come. Let God restore that in you. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you've been sprinkled, you've been immersed in titles, but never in Jesus' name, but you want to take on His name, then we invite you to come. If you have never repented of your sins, God help you to feel the need to do it right here and right now. Because I guarantee you we are perched upon a high hill with a prophetic view of God and we can see the day approaching. Worship team, go ahead and sing and let the Spirit of the Lord do its thing.